Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Speak On It, history and genealogy conversation with Janice and Shara Connor. We invite you to join us on Thursdays at 8 p.m. for an engaging exchange with us and our special guest as we cover various topics regarding history, genealogy, and your personal family history stories. Hello, I'm Janice Gilliard. And I'm Characana Feliciano. Thank you for joining us on Speak On It. We are excited to interview Stacey Bell and share a conversation regarding family matters and the importance of genealogy in our community. Every life has a story, but stories of the lives lived by black people are not told often enough. We should use genealogy and history to tell the stories of our families as black people in the diaspora because their lives matter. Stacey Bell, BS, MPA, is currently the program chair and former vice president of the Afro-American Historical and Genealogical Society, New York chapter, current Girl Scout Greater New York board member, Urban Women's Safe Haven Domestic Violence Shelter Community Advisory Board President and Genealogist. Welcome, Stacey Bell. Thank you. Hi, Janice. Hi, Sharikana. Hi, Stacey. Hi, Stacey. It's so nice to have you with us this evening. So let's get started, Stacey. Um, we have a few sure. questions, and our first question for the, with our interview with you is, what are the benefits of engaging in genealogy specifically for African Americans? Well, Janice, as you said in your introduction, um, genealogy is where the literary, the social, political come together to tell a story about a, a person or a family. Um, for African Americans in particular, knowing our family stories give us a better understanding of who we are, and it gives us the opportunity to think about what specific events mean to us now and over time at a personal level. Um, we get to examine what effects historic injustice has had on our families. And then practically speaking, mm-hmm. um, knowing your close family history is important because it benefits you to know of any detrimental health conditions that are prevalent in your family. Um, like we know that many conditions are inherited, and some can be addressed in advance if we know about them. So, and to be clear, by health, I mean both physical and mental. Uh-huh. Yes, absolutely. Our second question, Stacy, is how and when did you become interested in genealogy? Okay, so this is a very funny story. Um, <laughs> I was sent to spend um, a couple of weeks with my great-grandmother in South Carolina when I was about eight years old. And as all great-grandmothers in South Carolina would have done, you went to vacation Bible school. So the teachers started reading in the book of Genesis, and I think that we were supposed to be learning something about being our brother's keeper when she started telling us about Cain and Abel. But I got Mm -hmm. stuck on the baguettes. I knew that Cain begat Enoch and Seth begat Enos, and I kept asking her questions about, like, well, who begat after Enoch and who begat after Enos? And were Enoch mm-hmm. and Enos cousins? And this woman just looked at me like, that's not what we had discussed. <laughs> and, and she asked me, like, are you going to be here the whole summer? 
And I told her, no, only two weeks. And I kind of saw a smile come over her face when she knew that she'd be done with me. But that evening, I I went home, and um, my great-grandmother kept the big Bible, as we called it, right on um, this furniture that she had in what we called the front room. And I asked her if I could see it because Mm -hmm. I wanted to continue looking at the begats. And in the front of it, I realized that we had begats of our own. I saw the date that my grandmother was born, the date that my great-grandmother's mother was born, and I think that sparked an interest. Fast forward a few years, my grandmother moved back south herself, and it happened to be the summer after I read the book Roots, and I told my grandmother that I wanted to find the Kunta Kinte in our family. So she told me, I don't know about Kunta Kinte, but um, come on, let's go talk to Uncle Otis and Cousin B, and we'll see what we can find. That's awesome. I love that begats of our own. Uh, Whenever we have guests or I attend conferences and there's um, something that grabs my attention, I jot it down and I'm like, that would make a big, um, I think it would make a great book title, begats of our own. Um, Our next question is, wouldn't it though? Begats of our own. Um, The next question is, can you share some basic tips for getting started in your research journey if you are new to genealogy for our listeners? Sure. The first thing, we have to just do it, right? So um, I think that first we should find out what it is that you want to find out. What is it you want to know? Um, Start there. And then, of course, start with what you know and work backwards. That's starting with yourself, your parents' generation, your grandparents' generation, your great-grandparents' generation. And then you verify the information by doing a little research. Um, You can find an organization system that works best for you. Um, You can join organizations like OGS, the Afro-American Historical Genealogical Society is a national organization. It's the largest national organization for people interested in doing research in um, genealogy. There are chapters in most major cities. Of course, I'm a member of the New York chapter, and you are both, of course, with the New Jersey chapter. Um, Most people now, I think, enter genealogy through DNA testing, and that's right. one way to do it, but it's not the end all to be all. There's a lot more work to be done. Um, when you get a DNA test and you get the results back, there are proprietary online genealogy sites that are AIDS. There are free sites that are sponsored by religious organizations that are helpful. Um, but what I will say is when you're doing your genealogy online, uh, whether the site is a free site or a paid site, or a DNA site, that you should read all of the the disclosures on those platforms and make sure that you're okay with them before you start. Right. And then um, the thing to also uh, not to forget is consider that you may find major surprises that can Mm -hmm. upset the family dynamics. So you want to be prepared, um, you know, as prepared as you can anyway to address those issues. Well, before I'm um, sure kind of starts her next, exactly. Um, before she starts, I agree with you. It's like asking that question: What do you want to know? And oftentimes we're told to start with ourselves. But I love what um, Dr. Shelley Murphy says. She goes, "Start with what you know." So, what do you want to know? Okay. And starting with what you, you know, what what you already know, beginning from that point. Exactly. Um, Shere kind of mm-hmm. going to start with our next set of questions. 
Sure. Yeah, yeah. And also I just did want to say too, Stacey, that's really great advice about um, preparing yourself mentally, right, and emotionally for what you may find um, because that has lately, especially with DNA, you know, people are uncovering all kinds of surprises and things that they did not expect. And, um, you know, it's it's that's a game changer that is a little different from just doing the paper trail, right? So, exactly. um, you know, that's definitely yeah. part of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'll I'll start with the uh, the next set. The first question is, um, so what are the most interesting things that you've uncovered in your research? I've discovered so many interesting things. I think one of the things that stands out is um, discovering how my Gullah and Geechee ancestors hold on to their Africanness through food, mm. traditions, and language. I, I, I lived it and saw it in my time spent in South Carolina, but it didn't really sink in until I started traveling throughout West Africa. Also yeah. very interesting was um, studying the migration patterns of our families, both the forced and those made by choice. What um, I've been able to do with the assistance of two of my cousins is use DNA testing and mapping um, my fifth and sixth cousins, who I, I never knew I had relatives in Mississippi or, or Texas, and it was because of a migration pattern. It was something that, it was an event that was connected directly to history that put us there. So um, you can't study genealogy in a vacuum. You do need to know the history of an area. We always um, preach that, particularly in our chapter, but um, I've been able to reconnect our family members who were split apart during enslavement and reconstruction by doing that. Um, I've also found ancestors wow. who started schools, um, actually three of them. Bettis Academy is one of the schools. One, um, my great-great-grandmother started the very school that my mother started kindergarten at. And um, wow. we have a building wow. named for one of my ancestors on the campus of South Carolina State University. And then I also very found out cool. about an ancestor who allegedly stole a black and white sow, but we won't talk about him too much. <laughs> you know, before um, Shara kind of goes to our next uh, question, you, you mentioned food, traditions, and language. Um, can you give an example mm-hmm. of the food, one example of maybe a tradition, and then maybe even language? Sure. Well, of course, there's the Gullah Geechee language, and it is a language um, all its own. I think that mm-hmm. it, it developed we would have to have linguists in to tell us, you know, exactly, but um, it, it was a combination of different West African languages and the English that we were taught to speak by the Scots and the Irish and the, the, the British people who lived in the low country. And um, it's mm-hmm. still spoken this day. I don't want to say that it's a dying language because there is a resurgence in it. There's yes. a professor out yes. of Harvard that's teaching it and yes. younger people have taken an interest to it. And the food from Okra stew, um, as it's called in Nigeria and in Ghana. I remember the first jollof rice that I had in Ghana, and I'm thinking, this is red rice. I'm like, it's more like Savannah red rice and Charleston red rice, but this is red rice. Um, And traditions. I saw a little girl walking to school when I was in Ghana, and her hair had these little black threads twisted around it, and they were just mm-hmm, standing mm-hmm. up on her head and with these little black threads going around it. And I remember my great-grandmother doing that to one of my cousins, that it was the black thread hairstyle around each 
Yes. Oh, I'm sure you're touching a nerve with Sherry Connor because she shared that in a presentation. Um, Sherry Connor, I believe you have an ancestor that did that, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. We have uh, um, one of my second great grandmothers, and in fact, the story goes that they they she got in trouble for it because she was sending the kids or her grandkids to school like that, and um, yeah, they told her to stop doing it. Yep. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Very interesting. So that's but again, interesting. I, I almost that. feel like we could do like almost a separate, you know, segment yes. just on the Gullah Geechee culture <laughs> itself. Like it's so well, rich. We absolutely it's so have rich. to do that. <laughs> you know, okay. What about, the, what about the migration patterns, Stacey? You mentioned that as well for your sure. family. So we know, we when we, we think of America, we think of the 13 colonies and Anglo-America, which would be a migration from what we would call New England now into the South. So as Anglo-America developed and moved west by taking land from the Indians, or the Native Americans, rather, um, planters, as they like to call themselves, enslavers, as I call them, um, were able to get land grants and move further west. And of course, if they're getting land, they need people to work the land. So let's say, for example, in Collin County, South Carolina, I have an ancestor who... um, was separated from his siblings because the enslaver's son decided to move west to get land of his own. And he separated a family. And this happened over and over and over again. And if you read the history, uh, we hear about the Trail of Tears, but what happened after the Trail of Tears? You know, Africans Mm -hmm. were moved, and then they were moved further west as the American expansion expanded further west. Right, right. Also, definitely another untapped part of our history, for sure. Now, what about language? That was the other part of it, the question. It's the Gullah Geechee. Certain, the, the word Oprah is, um, mm-hmm. I forget which language it comes from, but it, it's definitely a West African word. Okra, Gulba. I remember my great-grandmother mm-hmm. used to call people Gulba head. She'd call you a Gulba head in a heartbeat. And um, <laughs> Gulba is one of the West African languages. It's how you say the word peanut. Um, Kuda is a turtle. So, you know, these Very words cool. came with us and kept them with us. And, you know, the, the Harvard professor you mentioned, um, I believe his name is Funim Cho. He he does yes. a whole language mm-hmm. series, yep, on the Gullah Geechee language. And it is really, really interesting. It's different dialect and accent and everything. So that's, you know, also another <laughs> possible segment there. So. <laughs> yeah. All right, awesome. Thank you, Stacey, for that, uh, you know, diving a little deeper in Gullah Geechee culture. That's awesome. So what do you do with the results of your research? I share it with my family, of course, and whoever else wants to hear it. And, um, you know, sharing (laughs) used to mean writing a book, right? But that's no longer how most younger people consume information. So we now have to be a little bit more creative. We have to go to the platforms where, the young people are if we are to pass this information on down to the next um, generation. So we create social media, family pages, and blogs. Um, we can host virtual reunions um, where you can share slides with old photographs and maps and documents. And yeah, let's still write the books or at least get these stories published in, in journals, in newspapers, and, and the like. Yeah. Yeah, and it is pretty great that with technology, it's sort of given us more options on how to share 
our research for sure. I know for me, like one thing that kind of came out of, um, you know, quarantine and not at all to, you know, dismiss the seriousness of it, but, you know, a lot of other avenues came out of it and where people had to be creative and creative ways to connect. And um, one side of my family, you know, they did a Zoom and it was, you know, it was really, really cool. And, you know, we would not probably have done it otherwise. Um, you know, and I got to learn a lot and we shared pictures and it was a great bonding experience, you know, and so I am kind of grateful for that, um, that opportunity, you know, so. Yeah. Very true. Very true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the same. We held actually about three family reunions on the same side of my family this year because we could. Wow. It cost us a Zoom subscription, right? So I was able to share and, and, get in a little bit deeper with some of the research that I've been working on for years. Um, And this is not something that I would have necessarily done had we all been together in a conference room, um, you know, of a Mm -hmm. a event venue for a physical reunion because we would not have wanted to waste the time. And not that it's wasted, but people, when we travel to a location, we want to take in all of it at that location. So now when we do get a chance to get together, we can just have fun. And we will continue yeah. to have our Zoom reunions to kind of educate and, and put the slides out there with the documents and the, the photographs without having to even print a journal because it's all digital. And there it is. So it's really cool. It's great and really convenient. So what are some ways um, to increase our community engagement in genealogy? So this is um, really interesting. It's something that I looked at um, having a, a professional interest in demographics, but the, the demographic of a hobby genealogist tends to trend, I'll just say, non-millennial. This right. isn't necessarily <laughs> a problem, though, because there are new right. people turning 50 every day, right? Uh, and right, these right. are people that naturally gravitate towards genealogy as they start to think about their legacy. Okay, although I, I do a lot of work with um, teens, and of course I'll introduce them to genealogical concepts, but I enjoy working with adults who are motivated to document their lives and the lives of their ancestors. Um, I think that at present, the focus should really be on the elders. They're the ones mm-hmm. who can help us identify um, our enslaved ancestors. You know, once they're gone, much of the information goes I was just going to say, before you know, it's too it, late, mm-hmm. yeah. talking to them before if it's ever too late. we're given reparations, you know, um, surely they're going to make us mm-hmm. move, you know, to right. whichever <laughs> entity we're seeking compensation, you know, which ancestors were enslaved. And, and I think we're at the cusp of that last generation that might have names and places to kind of get us there. So, like, going to senior centers, going to traditional churches, mosques, temples, local AARP chapters, um, fraternity and sorority alumni chapters would also be a great place to engage. Wherever non-millennials are, that's probably where we would need to go. People will naturally age into genealogy. You will have people who, like me, started in Sunday school pestering the Sunday school teacher about baguettes, but... Most people will come to it a little bit further on in life. There's one gentleman that I I spoke Mm with, um, Steve Hammond. Um, I spoke with him at a Sons and Daughters uh, conference, and I said, how long 
because I was so impressed with his uh, presentation board. I said, how long have you been, you know, conducting genealogy research? He said, since the seventh grade. I said, I Mm -hmm. wish. And, you know, when you talked about speaking with the elders, I remember asking my grandmother when I first started over 25 years ago, and I said, do you remember your grandparents? And she said, yes. And because she gave me their names, I was able to find them in census records as well as locating a slave narrative for my second great grandmother. So I'm so thankful for that. So that's a good tip for everybody. Please talk to your elders now. Time is of the essence. Yes. Yes. That's right. That's right. And if you can get their permission to record them, even better. Yeah. Right. And so, I want to say this too, that we should reach out to our, our elders because we should reach out to them and let them know that we love yeah. them and, and just let them know that we're there, particularly now when a lot of them haven't been able to get out and around. You know, and, and right. it's an elder in your family that you don't know necessarily personally. Maybe it's that sister of your great-grandmother. Give her a call and introduce yourself, not not to pick her yeah. brains for genealogy information right. necessarily. Right. But just to establish that relationship and say, hi, you know, we're here, we're thinking about you. Yeah, yeah, have a genuine, build a genuine connection with them as well. And I also think it's important, too, that when we try to take take things from our, um, like when we are trying to learn things from the elders in our family, it's also important that we're bringing something to them, right? Because we're taking yeah. something from them. So maybe offer something as well, whether it's a meal or, you know, their favorite, whatever, a gift or something, just to to have reciprocity. So um, yeah. And honoring them. And honoring them. Okay, you're fine. You're good. You're good. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Honoring them. That's important. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, what are some parting words for our listeners, Stacey? Um, This was a really, you know, you covered a lot of things. So what would you, you know, like to leave with with our listeners tonight? Okay, it's almost over already. So um, (laughs) I, I mean, I could talk all night about genealogy. So I would say that, you know, our ancestors' experience may have been marginalized, but we give them a voice by telling their stories because our families matter. They mattered back then and they matter now. We become disruptors to injustice by including their stories in what would otherwise be faulty narratives. And our children need that um, to envision a transformed future. I like that, correcting the narrative as well. You know what, um, I listened to a presentation, um, I you know participated in one of your OGS meetings, and you mentioned um, before we close, because we have a little bit of time here, um, migration patterns, and can you just mention very quickly, um, talk about the, I think it's a passbook, it was a passbook to travel within the United yes. States? Yes. Okay. I will have, I'm not book. sitting mm-hmm. in my office right now, so I will get you that exact information, you know, for your listeners. But mm-hmm. so what happened was Carolina at one point, or the, the Carolinas, was the southernmost um, state or colony of Anglo-America. Georgia was set up as a buffer between Florida and, and the Carolinas. And, of course, Florida was um, settled by the Spanish before the English took it over. And you had to have a passport to pass through Georgia because they needed to know, like, who's going through this territory? Who's going down into Florida? And in Spanish, of course, Florida, which means plural, 
um, who's going down there, who's going through these, you know, these Indian lands or Indian territories as they referred to them at that time. They had set up treaties with various different indigenous people from the area, and they just like to keep a record of what was going on throughout Georgia and some of the other places, going into um, even Alabama and Mississippi. So this book, it is a record of who these people were, um, the dates that they traveled, and who they traveled with. I've been successful in identifying one ancestor who left South Carolina, when he left, who he left with, it did not um, mention all of the so-called Negroes that they had in their party traveling with them. And be real clear that these um, black people were enslaved. These men were going out and they had gotten, they got land grants, free land, and they needed to work this land. So they were taking these acts away that I was able to piece this family back together. It was a combination of the DNA, of the general history of the area, of the family history, of the history of my county, and um, even going back through several of the European genealogies, I had to sort through their migration yeah. patterns in order to figure out where they took the Africans who were traveling with them. Yeah, yep. And that's something people also, you know, mention as well is that, you know, when you're doing this genealogy as African Americans, you have to be prepared to also learn the genealogy of the the white families that are yes. either connected through slavery or even maybe just neighbors, whatever the case may be, because it can give you... Or even connected um, through blood, yes. Yeah, exactly, exactly, because that's just, you know, it just is what it is, uh, as well right. as the importance of understanding the um, the history of the county or the state. You know, that's also really, really important to give you the context of what's going on. Yes. Well, that's really, really, you know, just insightful, Stacey, just like really insight, insightful information tonight, really valuable information. Um, I'm, I'm sure that our listeners definitely had some things to take away. Um, we want to thank you for being our guest and for encouraging our listeners to start researching and sharing their family history. Thank to our listeners, so we look forward to sharing with you next Thursday for Speak On It, History and Genealogy Conversations with Janice and Sherikana. Please be sure to check out our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter. Stacey, I'm sorry, did you want to say something before we close out? You want to no, share something else real quick? You, thank you for having me. Thank you for having oh, me. Oh, absolutely. You know what? We um, probably yeah, are going to have to do a, um, fam, a Family Matters uh, too because there were so many different things that Shara kind of shared earlier that came out of it. But we appreciate your time. I hope you enjoyed being with us this evening. And we look forward to having you as our guest the next time. For all of our listeners, again, thank you for joining us. Take care.